Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we are a from-the-field podcast. Many times we broadcast to you from my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony here in the hottest city in America, but when it's not the hottest day in the hottest city in America, you may find me as I am now, sitting on my couch in my sumptuous Las Vegas apartment. I've also been known to do these interviews from cigar shops, coffee shops, parks, cafes, even sitting along the street with the cars going by. Think about some of the places you are when you have those profound conversations with people you meet. Or you find yourself as a third person witnessing a private mastermind conversation, and you discover that slight edge that moves your business forward in ways that up until now you hadn't seen simply because it had never been shown to you. Picture that. Think about what's going to be going on in the background. Think about what's going to be going on right in front of you. And have your pad of paper and two pens ready as you capture those aha moments that will naturally arise by something you're going to hear over the next hour. We have with us today somebody I've been looking forward to speaking with for a long time, and I'm so happy that we were finally able to get him on the lineup. His name is Darby Veneer, and he's going to be speaking with us on hybrid leadership styles. Just to tell you a bit about Darby, he has over 20 years of experience in leadership development and strategic consulting. He's led effective teams of more than 100 employees, coach others into their own leadership positions, and create stability during challenging organizational transitions. And he's built on his career on the philosophy that developing the right people is the key to success. Pretty straightforward, very powerful. Darby Veneer, come on in. The weather's fine. All right, great. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate being on. I, I also would like to say I would like to be sitting on your balcony in Las Vegas right now because it's a balmy 12 degrees where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love it. I love it. So let's uh, dive in here. Now, before we discuss these hybrid leadership styles and a few other things you've suggested that we cover tonight, and I do want to have a great wide-ranging conversation with you, let's start by having you tell us a bit about now, I read off your official bio. So impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. That being said, uh, tell us a bit about your journey in your own words and what has inspired you to land where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, I've had a pretty diverse background in my career. I started off out of college in the retail sector, actually managing at a 22-screen AMC movie theater. So I was one of like, I don't know, we had six or seven managers there. And um, and so I got that experience right away. And from there, I went further into retail and I took over managing a Kinko's store. So they're now FedEx office, but at that time it was still Kinko's. And at that time, it was actually 24 hours um, uh, the, they were open 24 hours a day. So as managing a 24 hour retail store was 
quite the experience. <laughs> and uh, I did that for about six years or so and kind of got to the point where I'm like, well, eh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of ready to be done doing this 24 hour thing because you'd work 10 or 12 hours in a day and go home to have dinner and you'd get a phone call that your overnight person called in sick and you'd turn around and go back and work all night then. <laughs> so from there, I actually moved into the nonprofit sector um, and I managed a national livestock association for about a little over 11 years, actually. And that was that was an interesting experience um, with over 10 or 11,000 members and a nine member board of directors. And um, so that was much different, obviously, than retail and kind of the same situation. I, I like I said, I was there for a little over 11 years, but then got to the point where I also had another moment in my career where I was like, you know, I'm kind of ready to move on. This thing of getting new board members every year, you're basically getting two or three new bosses every single year and priorities change all the time. And 11 years was a long time. So I was like, well, I, I think I'm ready to move on. So that led me in back into the for-profit sector, um, doing what I do now. I work for a leadership development company. So we do leadership coaching, leadership training, strategic planning for companies, um, and that sort of thing. Um, and it kind of just, my, my career really has always centered around people and developing people. I can go all the way back to my time at AMC Theater and Kinko's and look at the people that I hired and the focus that I, I spent on those individuals and try to develop them along. Um, and actually, just recently, one of my employees that I hired at Kinko's 20 years ago, who I hired as a retail cashier and eventually promoted him um, to a supervisor and then to an assistant manager. He eventually actually became a store manager. Um, and I recently talked to him and he actually just moved on and he's running a big operation now. And those are the types of experiences that I look back and I'm like, that's exactly why I do what I do. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the the main reason for my existence, as it were, my why for what why I exist in life and um, to continue to uh, help others and help them build their career Um I always say one of my greatest joys is seeing the success of others. And, and that's why I enjoy doing what I do and coaching and, and leading others. Yeah. So I know that, and that's a fantastic, by the way, I know that you have a book, which I'm going to be ordering myself called the indispensable leader, which is about identifying and refining your leadership style to achieve leadership success and so much more as people will discover at the end of the show when we send them to your website but we're here to discuss a very unique concept called the hybrid leadership style. Can you sort of take us by the hand and walk us through what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. The entire book is dedicated to this concept. And essentially, it starts off with the idea, I'm sure you have heard the question, you may have been asked it yourself, and I'm sure your listeners have as well. Um, are you a manager or are you a leader? And I kind of start off the book by saying, I don't like that question. I don't think it's a very good question because it assumes you can't be both. You have to be one or the other. And I don't believe that's the case. I know a, a, a quite a number of managers who are great leaders. Um, so I, I don't think that's the right question to be asking. Um, and how I ask people to look at it at the beginning of the book is, is think of it more as characteristics. So you have manager characteristics, and then I would put at the other end of that spectrum, if you visualize it like a spectrum, on the far left is manager, on the far right is visionary. So the manager is that person who is highly organized, likes to build process. They're the person who's asking what we're doing and how we're doing it. And then on the far right, you have the visionary. That's the 
person who is passionate. They're the ones that selling the ideas, coming up with new ideas that um, typically a lot of entrepreneurs fall in this, in this area. They're the ones that are asking why, or they're explaining why we're doing something and not so much the what. Um, so if you think about that as a spectrum, the premise of, of my book with hybrid leadership is, is I'm saying, you don't want to be at either end of that spectrum. And actually, I, I would I would encourage you to look at it more like a Venn diagram where you have two intersecting circles, one circle being manager characteristics, one circle being visionary characteristics. And I kind of take you through the process in explaining this in the book um, of saying, okay, these are the typical characteristics. There's both good things and there's bad things. And some of those things you really need to go through. And I encourage people to take the best of both worlds. And that's what I what I came up with the term hybrid leadership. So that hybrid indispensable leader is that person who uses the strengths of both the manager characteristics and the visionary characteristics to make sure that they're the best possible leader that they can be. I think this particularly is important when it comes to coaching and consulting, especially consulting. I find in some of the consulting work I do that I need to, in order to create balance for clients, be the opposite of where they they are at that given time. So when they're in highly managerial mode, which for better or worse, and it's not really a value judgment, it's just what it is often takes the form of a pessimistic view, which is, well, we can't really do that. That's risky. That's going to be off the reservation or whatever. Then I go into visionary mode and push the big picture. Now, when I see them, the clients going off in major visionary mode, then I bring the energy of, okay, so you are up there in the clouds. You're basking in in the crisp, clean air. You're seeing it from the 50,000 foot view and you're full of enthusiasm and optimism. So I'm going to step in here a little bit and I'm not trying to poke holes in your balloon here. I just am inserting the down to earth perspective. So sometimes I found that you need symbiosis between management and visionary where two people are involved and for lack of a better word, they switch. Yeah, exactly. So that's an excellent illustration because we as coaches, we typically have to do that and kind of play both roles depending on the situation. It also comes up pretty frequently in companies, especially small companies um, or mid-sized companies um, or in a large company, it could be a department. But you have the case a lot of times where in an organization, you have a CEO, for example, that's a high visionary person, and you might have a COO or a director of ops or VP of ops that's a high manager characteristic um, person. And it's that push and pull that you were talking about. So I can use my own experience as an example. In my company that I work with now, the CEO that I work with is very high visionary, and I tend to be Um, right in the middle, maybe a little bit on the visionary side. Uh, However, I have all those manager characteristics. So I'm typically the one that's having to pull him back. And he's constantly trying to push me forward because I don't always take enough risks. And sometimes he wants to move along more quickly than we maybe should. So you use that push and pull relationship. Um, And what that means is, is those individuals have to have a, a high amount of trust because you have to be able to challenge each other. Now, it can create interesting situations, though, because um, sometimes because of the role that I have to play, I can be, you started to describe it, actually, but I can be 
the one, sometimes he'll look at me and he's like, gosh, you're pessimistic all the time because I'm the one that's saying, yeah, but there's these five things we got to think about. And these are going to be challenges and obstacles we have to overcome. And he's thinking, but I'm already there. We're done. Like we're doing this. It's awesome. It's amazing. But the manager characteristic side is looking at it and going, yeah, but there's a whole lot of steps to get to where you are. Um, and so we both recognize that in that relationship. And that works really well in companies that have that situation. Yeah. I also have discovered that sometimes that need for that symbiosis is taken to certain extremes. I know if somebody once and he told me a story that they had a client that they needed to let go actually because of, well, there were a number of things, but this is one of the stories that she told me. She said that uh, now, now this friend of mine, she was in charge of among other things, managing the client's entire web empire to make sure it didn't fall apart. And uh, the client was insisting that the passwords be really, really simple so that people could remember them. And that they'd be stored in a common place online that anybody could find. <laughs> okay, we're talking. Well. We're, talk, we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about the passwords that are WHMs and such. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, and as we all know, that when it comes to your WHM or your cPanel, which are the foundations of your web presence, this is not where you screw around with passwords. The bare minimum is inscrutable gobbledygook that there's no way you could possibly remember because it has no rhyme or reason. That's the bare minimum for securing these things. Otherwise, it's like you're holding the door open for hackers. And when this friend of mine pointed this out to her client, the client said, you know, I'm really not sure that your protective energy is helping my business right now. I feel like you're holding me back. <laughs> okay. It's great to be, as I said, it's great to be visionary, uh, there also needs to be sort of a foundation that is that is rooted in the management. So in this case, my friend was taking the management perspective to actually create space for the visionary to take place. Because you're not going to be that visionary if your damn website's down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's just not going. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Think think about it. Even if it's, I mean, I don't know how many websites you have. But let's say you have 23 websites. And one of them is down and it's like the least important of your websites and it's almost ancillary in its purpose. It's almost like one of those ones you keep up just because you happen to have a domain that represents a key phrase of yours. It's not one of your lead sources of visitors. It doesn't get you a whole lot of business, but think about how debilitated you get when you find out, uh, like if you're presenting on a webinar and somebody goes to that website and says it's down. Are you feeling visionary in that moment? Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. you just have to turn that around on them because uh, the, the the visionary folks that I do know, like I said, a lot of times they're entrepreneurial minded. Um, so in that case, I would be saying, this is how it, it's going to affect your business. This is what it's going to do to your bottom line. This is what it possibly could do. So <laughs> if you start to explain those things to them, hopefully they get it. <laughs> right, 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 right. So now, what I've described is the idea that you have a yin and yang going on between two or more individuals where they switch off the energies depending on where it needs to be allocated and who needs to be carrying which bucket at which given time. Now, what you're discussing, at least if I'm hearing you correctly, Darby, is the idea of one person being the entire continuum. 
Yeah. So basically taking that yin yang idea, and it's interesting you mentioned that because when I was thinking about artwork for the book, one of the designs and I didn't end up choosing it had a, a yin yang symbol on it. And I'm like, ah, it's too common. Um, but it did, it does describe what I'm getting at. So I'm, I'm basically saying take the best of both um, sides and utilize that yourself. Now you can't control, like, like I said, I'm, I'm like right in the middle of the spectrum. Um, sometimes I, I deviate more to the manager side. Sometimes I deviate more to the visionary side, but I probably can't move myself, um, farther to one side or the other in my natural state. But what I can do is, is I can understand, the best characteristics that I can use from both uh, both sides and begin to build those things and then let go of, and this is another part of, of my book, is let go of the things that are, are more negative because what happens is, is you have things like a visionary, oftentimes, um, if they're very far to that end of the spectrum, you don't want to be at the far end of either, either end. But if a visionary is far to one end, um, they don't have a lot of interest in how something gets done. That's not how their mind works. They think of an idea in their head, it's already done and I'm ready to move on. Let's just move on. And they can sometimes make decisions too quickly. Well, you got the other end of that with the manager. Um, if they're way at the, at the end of the manager side, they kind of do the opposite. They can um, drag something along forever and never make a decision because they're planning and planning and they got to have it perfect and, and that sort of thing. So it's not good to be at either end. So taking the best possible characteristics of each and building those together so that you know, like you said, there are times when you need to be more visionary. There are times when you need to be um, more managerial in, in nature and use those to your benefit as you exist in building your business, as you build a team, as you lead people, as you coach people, all of those things are important. One of my earliest exposures to anything resembling this level of thinking was actually back when I was in college. And this was not in the curriculum that they were teaching in class. I got this because a friend of mine had interned from, for somebody else who ended up actually eventually becoming a client of mine, funny how things work five years later. And this friend of mine introduced me to something known as the Platinum Roll, created by Dr. Tony Alessandro, also a Las Vegas resident. And it's, it was based on that, it was, it was another definition of that classic quadrant of personality styles that was originally thought to be based on chemicals in the body 2000 years ago. And for those who may be familiar with it, you have your, your director, your socializer, your thinker, and your relator. You, when you take the assessments, you find out that you are primarily one of these things. To literally nobody's surprise, I come up as primarily thinker. However, when I have a bunch of deadlines on or I really need to come through with something, I can snap into director mode really quick, which actually is in some ways the opposite of thinker because thinker tends to be very analytical, um, very deep, very focused on the details where director is get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. And that sometimes involves paving over things that the thinker might otherwise take time to think about, but I can switch into director mode. Uh, I can also uh, go into relator mode, and that speaks to my naturally introverted personality. Socializer is not one I'm very good at. Again, introverted personality. But the point being is, although you're primarily one thing, you're not just that one thing. Circumstances and where you are at any given time could push you toward one of the other quadrants. 
Yeah. And that's one of the things as I coach um, new leaders that I get at is you should, it should be a priority of yours to always be curious and always be learning. Um, And what that means is, is you should continue to try to grow in other areas that maybe are outside your comfort zone and you don't have to move to those areas permanently. In fact, it's often very difficult, but gathering up that information and utilizing that as you need to do that um, is very important. Um, it's a, it, interesting. You said um, that you have an introverted personality. I also am an introvert. Um, and here we are on a podcast talking um, and, and there's just so many levels of being an introvert. So I love to speak in front of people, but when I get in conversations one-on-one, not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> Um, but I'm happy to do it if I need to. And and you make adjustments. Um, You have to step outside your comfort zone sometimes. And I think all of those things really get at that idea of constant learning. Yeah. Well, here's the, here's another thing. And I love bringing this up. A, A dear friend of mine, God rest his soul, was a top 40 musician and he had one of the most legendary hits of all time. Uh, He was also a one hit wonder, at least in the mainstream billboard charts but he charted this song in two separate years for a total of 37 weeks in the top 40. Now, I'd seen him perform concerts. He could get up on stage and do three sets without a break because being on stage and performing was his intersection of his brilliance and his passion. However, I was also aware that his performance contracts, particularly for command performances or smaller group performances of maybe 500 or less, which would also involve either a fan dinner or an opportunity to meet him and get his, get autographs and things like that. He would specify to the minute how long he had to be at that dinner, or how long he was available to, to sign autographs. And I saw the phenomenon. If he was available to sign autographs for 45 minutes after the show was over, at minute 44, his bodyguards would surround him. And then when the clock ticked next, they would pick him up by the arms and carry him out. <laughs> The reason, yeah, the, reason, I, the reason being at that point, he was jonesing to get up to his hotel suite and gather his small circle of intimate friends around him and hang out for an hour and then be completely alone. I was also aware that, and I found this out that you know, once I became good friends with him, that in the several hours leading up to him doing a performance, it was required that he be left completely alone unless he summoned you. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I found that out because a couple times he summoned me because he <laughs> wanted to speak with me about something. But he was in this giant hotel suite and he was sitting there all by himself with the TV on mute. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I spoke to this producer. I, I found out this is just the way the way it was. That uh, after a certain point, it was usually about the four hour mark. If there were people hanging around, they all got chased out because he needed to be alone to build his energy for what he needed to do. And uh, he is actually one of the kindest, most caring people that I've ever met in my life. And when I became friends with him, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go out to LA and uh, he and I are going to go to clubs and we're going to go party and everything else. And most of what we did is sit at his apartment and smoke weed. <laughs> so, oh, I get it now. Now, and, and, then, and then about a year later is when I discovered the science behind introversion and extroversion, which explain me because I hadn't really understood myself. And I looked at this guy and I said, oh, this is 
absolutely an introverted personality here. Now I understand. Uh, he and I are not going to be going to any clubs. I got it now. Yeah, there's a, um, you probably have read it. If you haven't, you should get it. There's a book by Susan Cain called Quiet. And oh, that was, that was the book that changed my life. <laughs> It's funny you say that because that's what I always say to people. I have bought more copies of that book and given to other introverts and I've given several to extroverts and been like, you need to read this because you'll learn so much about your spouse. But yeah, when I read it, I'm like, holy crap, somebody understands me. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, I definitely can identify with that idea of uh, needing to recharge. I actually heard I think it was Simon Sinek actually on a clip one time on social media, and he had a great explanation for introvert extrovert. And he said, basically, look at it um, like an, an introvert starts out every morning with five coins. I think I don't know if it was five. I think yeah. it was five, five coins. And throughout the day, as people talk to them, they give out their coins. And once they run out, that's it. They're out of energy. The extrovert starts their day with zero coins and their goal is to get coins from people. So they yes. try to gather coins <laughs> throughout the day. And I thought that's a great analogy. That's exactly uh -huh. what it is. Cause I work with some, I work with both introverts and extroverts and we talk about it all the time. And um, with one of my uh, extrovert coworkers, I always say that to her when she talks to me and she's been talking for a while. I'm like, I'm like, you just took two of my coins. <laughs> <And she> just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, here, here's another thing I've discovered in terms of people in my social circle, for some weird reason, I, you know, as far as the people in my circle who I would actually go out and hang out with, for some reason, I attract extroverts. I don't know why. So <laughs> I, I have about 100 stories of me being more than ready to go and having to wait them out while they have seven other conversations on their way out the door. <laughs> so I discovered the secret to this is unless she's my date, nobody rides with me. That's a great idea. <laughs> it's real. It's real simple. So if somebody, somebody wants to carpool to an event that we're both going to, like, let's say you and I were uh, both, uh, we both happen to be in Las Vegas. Let's say we were, and we were going to attend a networking function tonight that started at eight o'clock. And you said, Hey man, can you come pick me up and, uh, and we'll carpool together. I might say, you know, Darby, I'd love to carpool with you. That'd be great. But the thing is, I have this other client thing, and it's way on the southeast part of town. It's down in Henderson, and this thing we're doing is in Summerlin. So not only am I probably not going to be able to pick you up, I'm probably actually going to be late. So I look forward to seeing you there when we both arrive separately. <laughs> well, that wouldn't be the case with me. You and I yeah. would arrive late and leave early. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, about a month ago, I found myself in a social situation where I, for some reason, I broke this role and I allowed carpoolers in my vehicle. Uh, so we went to this event. It was actually kind of a party and it was not my vibe and I wanted the hell out of there, but I couldn't leave because I was responsible for these other two people. And since it was also the type of thing where everybody brought food, they had cooking utensils that needed to go back with them. So I couldn't just pick up and go and I wasn't going to get new or leave them to get an Uber or something like that. Cause that's not how you roll. But I thought about that and I said, okay, I broke this rule for reasons I don't understand, but I will never, ever, 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 ever do this again. 
because I, because I couldn't even really get away from it. I mean, it was in a park, so I could find some place to just go sit by myself for a while. But I had to keep circling back every once in a while so that people didn't wonder what happened to me. But if this had been, if I had handled this properly, knowing about 30 minutes in that this situation just wasn't my vibe, I would have texted one of my friends to call me and tell me they needed me and I would have left. Yeah. Now, don't you just ever think about, um, and I'm sure I have a skewed view on this because I'm yep. an introvert. Um, however, do you ever just think us introverts sure have to adjust a lot because this is an extroverted world. And I know, I think Susan King talks about this in her book, but it's such an extroverted world that we're constantly having to adjust. And I got a good example of this. I know we're a little off topic, but this is a good story. No, 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 um, that, that's okay. That's okay. We're going to, we're going to get to titles. Don't make leaders in just a minute. I love yeah. these conversations because the introvert extrovert thing is so important when we speak about manager versus visionary. Yeah. So when I, uh, I mentioned that I led a national livestock association, it was actually for alpacas. Um, and as part of that, we, my organization ran the national um, alpaca show. And at the show, this was a week long event. We would have a thousand to 1500 animals there, and there'd be anywhere from 700 to a thousand people there for the week. Um, and it would take a whole year to plan. Um, we would arrive days before the event started and to do all the setup and everything, me and my team. So we'd have all these days of setup, three or four days of setup before people actually arrived. And then people arrived. Well, I was the executive director, CEO of the organization. So everybody that attended wanted to talk to me. Uh Um, So those were some long days because that was like 14 or 16 hour days. And you were constantly talking to people or I would be delivering a talk or we had our annual meeting and I had to speak at, at it. And then I had to talk one-on-one with people. And that's my, my example. Like we're just forced to adjust. Like I had no choice. That was my job and I was happy to do it. But I tell you that these were always all over the United States. We always moved around. So I was always going back to a hotel at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock midnight. I'd get back to the hotel and literally I would just sit down on the bed or a couch or whatever. And I would just sit there for like, 20 or 30 minutes yep. really quiet and do nothing. <laughs> uh-huh. And then was, yeah, always, they, my, my team always asked me about it because every year um, the event would end, we'd get cleaned up on Sunday and everything. And we'd travel back home. And usually I'd come into work the very next day and work that day to kind of finalize some things. And then I would always take a couple of days off every year. And th- they always asked me early on, why, why do you always take off two days right after the event? And I'm like, because I have to recharge. Like I spent all of my energy. It's what it took Uh to do the week. And that's how I recharge. I'll be back. It'll be great at the end of the week. It'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I know the, I know the exact feeling when it, when it comes to that. And I found, especially when I used to travel a lot to conferences, which involved a lot of airplanes before I just moved to Las Vegas, where, I was actually in the town where a lot of this stuff happens or within driving distance of places like Los Angeles, San Diego, and Phoenix, where I didn't have to deal with the clusterfuck of airplanes. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, you, because you know what that does to an introvert. Yes. It's like, you cannot get left alone and you spend hours and hours and hours dealing with people tripping over their, their, themselves, itching for their opportunity to order you around. And force you into situations where you're in close proximity to other people. Oh, and then if you get a seatmate who's boring. 
Yeah, I'll say my Bose headphones go on before I get on the plane, even if I'm not <laughs> listening to anything, and they don't yeah. come off until I'm out of the out of the metal tube. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Um. Like if I like if I go to a gym or something, I always make sure I have wired headphones. I'm trying to send an unmistakable symbol, and uh, and there's a cigar shop I hang out at fairly frequently. And sometimes I'll be there, and I'll have my laptop, and I'm actually using their Wi-Fi to get some work done. And I am not in any sort of social mood whatsoever. And uh, and I, I remember this clear as day, even though it happened about three months ago. Somebody decided they were going to try and suck me into the pedestrian conversation was going around by saying well look at adam there he's not even listening to anything through his headphones he just has them on because he's trying to avoid conversation and i took the headphones off and i said yeah that's exactly what i'm doing and then put them back on <laughs> i probably would have just ignored him and pretended yeah. like i didn't hear it <laughs> actually, actually actually i do that a lot too in many situations like if i if i'm not feeling it i just don't um I just don't do it. Now, that can be a challenge to leadership sometimes because people are looking for their leader to communicate with them. And uh, we could probably spend an entire hour on just how leaders can manage that. But I do want to get on to this other very intriguing point that you brought up to me in the green room. And this is about titles don't make leaders. This is something that really, really grips me because we covered it before on this show. Uh, And this is about how to step into a leadership role at any level. So expound upon this one for me. I'm really curious about it. Yeah. So the the whole idea here is, is the fact that exactly what it says, a title doesn't make a leader. So you could be promoted and your title could be COO um, or CEO. And that doesn't mean that you're actually a good leader of people. It just means that people report to you and people reporting to you does not mean that you're a leader. Um, And it's kind of one of those things that, and there are certainly people, I'm sure you've encountered them. It's that whole adage of um, sometimes people rise to their level of incompetence. There are people out there that they just somehow get lucky. And I've met some of them and I'm like, how did you get here? (laughs) Um, But that doesn't mean that they can lead people just because they have a title. The other end of that is actually informal leadership. So there are people who have no title at all or have a very low level title um, who maybe even don't even lead people directly, like have people that report to them. But those informal leaders, that doesn't mean they're not necessarily a leader. They maybe take charge of projects and they rally the group. They maybe motivate the group to accomplish something. Um, One of the stories I use in my book is if you think about if you saw the movie Hidden Figures, like this is a good example um, where you had um, these young black women that were hired as calculators to help with the space program. They had no titles. They had no status, especially in the era they were in. They were both women and they were African-American. So they were given no credence and no status, but look at everything that they accomplished and what they helped do. That They were very much leaders, even though they were not in a position of prominence, they didn't have people that reported to them in most cases, um, but they still accomplished so much. And that's a perfect example of that situation at at that end of the spectrum where you don't even have to have a title at all to be a leader. Um, And I think those things go um, under-recognized and under-noticed. And I think it's important for those of us who do lead people to recognize those characteristics. I certainly have had several in my um, orbit that have 
um, worked for me that um, I saw greatness in very early on and was able to help them along and coach them and help them proceed through their careers. And those things are so incredibly important because, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book, honestly, is, is that I, I just feel like there's this overarching lack of leadership in a lot of cases that we're just looking at leadership in the wrong way, whether it be in business, certainly in politics. Um, And And, and, and regardless regardless of where you're on the political spectrum, you know, that's a fact somehow. Oh yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, I don't Uh, care if you're on the right or you're on the left or the middle or whatever. Um, You can criticize everybody because- Uh We just don't have the greatest leadership situation out there right now. So if I can do my part to help build my little part of the world here and help build people up and make them better leaders so that it affects things in the future, and I leave the, the my, at least my part of the world better than I found it, that's what my goal is. And that was one of my prime reasons for writing a book. Right. You know, this reminds me, when I was in college, I had a part-time job working in a fast food place, and our store was actually designated a training store. So all the assistant managers in training did their training at our store. So I met a variety of different types, uh, folks who had leadership ability and folks that had the opposite of leadership ability. Now, our training store manager, I mean, in, in, a, in a regular store, he would have been a general manager, but he actually had the title training store manager, which came with more money and more profit sharing opportunities. So he made sure you knew his title was training store manager. He wanted <laughs> yeah. you to know that he earned that extra 10%. And he was a very, very, very interesting character, to say the least. Uh, and he's one of those folks who was not really the type to sit down with you and mentor you, but he had a way of teaching people how to do things and a way of bringing out the best in folks without letting them know that he was doing it and partially by letting them figure it out the challenging way but then being able to catch them when they fall and lift them back up again so very very interesting not by the book character whatsoever so you would get these assistant managers and trainings who in training who would pull out the rule book and start instructing, particularly, let's say, openers and closers on how to do their jobs. And, the, and, and they would base it on these, these structures and timed tasks that were designed by people in a corporate office who had probably never actually been in one of the restaurants. And these folks would usually get walked all over. It would take one of two forms, either... People would just ignore them and just work around them, pretend like they weren't even there. And this was a and this was a person with managerial authority. They would just be ignored. Like uh, people would walk away from them while they were speaking to them. That's how bad it was. Or they would be the forceful type of person. Now they'd be able to boss people around, and then people would say, "Okay, let's go into malicious compliance." And then that training store manager would pull them that uh, that uh, that assistant manager aside and say. Why is it that uh, the opening procedures weren't oh, weren't completed until we were already into the lunch rush? Why do I have four extra hours on closing? And that was his way of sort of showing them that it was important to tr- trust your people to be innovators and understand that the people who do the process often understand it better than the people who manage it. 
particularly when the managers have never done it themselves. Yeah, you had a, I, I listened to several of your episodes. You had a recent episode um, where you talked about ego. And yeah. that's a big part of that, where you get an assistant manager, a manager who's like, I have the title now, so I'm uh-huh. important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that early on in what you were talking about, you were talking about how um, basically the training manager develops people. Um, and that's one aspect that's really important to be, you heard me talk about how it's important to be to develop people already, but I really work hard to give them the responsibility, give them the rope that they need and, you know, catch them when it's, when it's going to fall, they're going to fall too hard. But sometimes, you know, if it's not too bad, you let them fall. And and then we have a conversation about how to improve and, and move forward. The other thing that I always try to get across, and this is, this is one of the things that has been a hallmark of my career. I'm, I'm a big believer in the the idea that there is power in your past experience. That your past experience from your entire life dictates how you act in everything, in your personal life, in your business life, everything. And I have a perfect example of this. I talk about this in, in the book as well. And that is when I was at AMC Theaters, um, when you closed on a Thursday, this is the, in the days before digital movies, so you still had celluloid film. Well, the new movies that opened on Friday would come on Thursday, um, and they would come as like six or seven individual reels, and they would have to be built up or spliced together into a giant reel on a platter every Thursday night. So they were ready to go for Friday for the openings. And then the old movies that were leaving had to be taken apart and put back on the six or seven reels. Well, whenever I closed on a Thursday, I always went and helped the projectionist because I couldn't leave until they were done anyway. I was trained to do it. So I went and helped the projectionist one night. It was like 2.30 in the morning when I started because I had to finish my closing duties first. And I was, it's called tearing down. So I was taking apart one of the old movies to send back. And basically you kind of wind it onto the little reel and you start it and there's this there's this knob that you turn and you can speed it up and it'll wind onto the other reel faster and faster. And then you stop it when it gets to the splice spot and you break the splice and then you take that one off and you put another empty reel on. Well, I'm like, I want to get this done quick. So I speed this thing up and it's going along really fast. And there's a metal ring in the middle that holds the whole movie Uh print on the platter. (laughs) And there's these hooks that go down in. Well, apparently the hooks were not on in this print. And I had this thing spinning really fast and all at once it went and it went flying off into the projection booth. Yeah. And it's like slow motion. I'm like, no, Uh (laughs) I'm looking at this thing laying on the floor. And basically it's like, if you took a 2000 mile long extension cord and you jumbled it up and threw it on the floor, that's what it looks like. Yeah. So it took me the next four or five hours of me like pulling out film and cutting it and then unknotting it and pulling out some more and re-splicing that together. This thing had so many splices in it. It was crazy. I'm like, I'm I'm like, I'm fired. I am so fired. (laughs) Um, I got done at like 6.30 or 7 in the morning. I knew the uh, managing director would be in at 9. So I went home and I showered and I came right back because I'm like, I got to tell him this in person and I'm standing outside of his office. And that's honestly what I'm thinking. I'm like, okay, this is the end of your job here. <laughs> I've, I've been, I've been there too. Uh, when I worked in that fast food job, I accidentally used a knife to open, uh, to open a container of the Mountain Dew mix and the <laughs> knife went into the plastic and it was the only box they had. 
Then oh, there, then, nice. then, then there was a time my, uh, then there was a time that my drawer somehow when I was working, uh, the pickup register came in $22 short. <laughs> yeah. And I thought for, and I thought, uh, oh my God, uh, the, the training store manager is going to hear about this one. Uh, and, uh, and his, uh, and his reactions were kind of interesting and surprising. I thought he was going to pretty much murder me over this, but as far as the Mountain Dew, he said, Oh, well, um, I called, I called the store in the next town. Uh, they have extra Mountain Dews. So tell you what, you get in your car and go pick, pick it, pick it up and bring it over here. And you know, stuff happens. Uh, and this, and then that was actually also his reaction to the $22. I was thinking, Oh goodness, he's going to write me up over. And he said, no, yeah, it happens. Yeah. That was kind of uh, my, and, yeah, and and I've discovered this in my own consulting, uh, particularly when it works when it comes to my clients and their marketing activities. You know, the you know, you're getting involved in email marketing, and you know how some folks think that their entire reputation is going to be ruined if there's a typo in their subject line or yeah. a broken link. <laughs> and uh, and what I share with my clients is before you go into meetings where you're trying to figure out what went wrong and implement all kinds of fail safes and quality things and what have you uh just remember that you're actually going to be better off of just simply absorbing a couple mistakes every now and then you'll be you'll be yeah. better you'll be better off that way and your audience is really not going to care uh, i have a and i discovered this early on when i used to have a web development firm and one of my clients who's still with me to this day um he used to send out a lot of his own emails through his email marketing system and one day he sent one out and it had a broken link and I, I, I caught it and I said, your email is a broken link. He said, oh, oh, well, like, well, well, I think we need to send a correction. He said, no, I don't send corrections. If somebody cares that much, they'll email me personally. And then I get to speak with them. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Now, another time I had another client where they were actually at a Dan Kennedy conference when one of their emails went out and they had a broken link. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, no, I just lost this client. Okay, well, the actual the solution was just very simple. Just resend the email because I found out about it because he messaged me on Skype and said, I've had three people come up to me and say my email that went out had a broken link. It's like, what do you do? You resend it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and 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 that's and to me, that's actually part of being managerial. If we want to go back to the whole managerial and visionary thing, is management sometimes involves figuring out how much you can absorb. Yeah. Yeah. So my experience was very similar to yours. I went in and told the story to my managing director and, and I mean, these were expensive. I don't know if we had to pay for it or not, but yeah, uh, there's six, six or seven reels. And each one was, I don't know, three, four, $5,000 a reel. Um, and I told him the whole thing and I'm like, here's what happened. I like the center ring wasn't on or something. And I explained it all. And then I stopped and he's like, great. He's like, thanks for coming in and telling me. And like, that yeah. was that. And that moment was, it was, that was early in my career. That <laughs> moment is exactly what I think about every time I have somebody that works with me that screws up because, yeah. and, and it totally shifted my way of thinking because that's what I think about. And that's how I treat it. That I'm like, look, mistakes happen. Let's just talk about how it happened. Make sure it doesn't happen again. Not a big deal. We'll work through it. it it's, it's just, it, I constantly reference that story. Yeah. And, and again, you know, part, you know, part of this is we have to recognize in dynamic business that things like this are going to happen. And let's, 
actually transition here into another one of your points when good plans go awry. So what are some other things that we can do as far as leadership to handle the unexpected organizational challenges? And we can go as macro and micro as you want in the time we have left here. Yeah. So this is something that I, I always like to talk about because I think I think there's too many times out there where people think there's an easy button for everything. Right. The, bo- the bottom line is, is that there's going to be challenges. Like as a leader, you're going to encounter challenges. People are going to quit at inopportune times. You're going to have to maybe terminate somebody because of something. And it's going to be hard. Um, things happen. Um, I, one of the examples in my career, I mean, unexpected things happen. I've had it happen multiple times. One of the examples I give is um, when I changed jobs at one point, I interviewed for this position um, with an interim um, person uh, and they were going to be exiting and they were hiring for their role. I interviewed with them, then I interviewed with board members um, and ultimately was offered the job, accepted it. I started the job and like three weeks later, the, the board actually f- flew into the office to have an in-person meeting. And that was the first time they had actually met me in person. This is in the days before Zoom. Um, so yeah. they never actually saw me. And I was young looking. I mean, I was 26 at that point, And I had managed a multi-million dollar retail store for six years. So I had plenty of experience, but I looked really young. Um, and they had their meeting for the weekend and I did my part of the meeting and presented and everything. And they all left and the interim, um, said, Hey, come into my office. I want to talk to you. And he proceeds to tell me that the board has decided they're going to do a national search for this position. And I said, what, (laughs) what do you mean? Um, he said, well, they've decided they, they want to do a national search for the role. And I'm like, but. I was offered the role. I accepted it. I've been working here in this role for a month and backing up a little bit. I took a huge pay cut to do this because they had an interim and they said, we can't pay both of you full salary. Um, He's going to leave. You're going to have the six month transition. And when he leaves, then you'll go up to the full salary. I'm like, okay, I talked to my wife and we decided six months we can do it. So all of this happened. And basically what they told me was that um, the board said this, no, no, no. Um, we were hiring for an associate position, not for the actual executive director CEO position. Um, you're welcome to apply for this other role and we will consider you, but that's not the role that you were hired for. And I'm like, yeah, that's bull crap. That is totally what I was hired for. Uh-huh. Even the interim said, I thought I was hiring for my role. <laughs> um, yeah. So this went on over the course of three or four months, this process, and they interviewed other people. And at one point, they finally flew in one of their final candidates, and they were supposed to interview him. Two board members flew in. They were interviewing him, and then they were supposed to interview me. I I was asked to have a very awkward conversation in which I basically explained to this person what I did on a day-to-day basis um, so that they could take my job um, if they decided to hire them. (laughs) Even the, this candidate said, this is really awkward. I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> but anyway, the day went on and on and on. And, and then the person left and the board's getting re- the board members are getting ready to leave. And I'm like, hey, are you going to talk to me? And they're like, oh, no, like we have a, a general idea uh, of your capabilities. <laughs> and I'm like, OK. So as it turns out, they actually offered it to the other person who ultimately over the course of a few weeks eventually turned them down. 
And they, the board president called me and said, and, and they, he actually worded it like this. We offered it to so-and-so he turned it down. So we'd like to go ahead and offer it to you. And I'm like, thanks. That's great. (laughs) Um, And I said, look, I'm going to need to think about it. Cause I obviously was pretty pissed off. Um, Yeah. But I didn't have any choice. Like I, I, as soon as this all happened over this course of time, I started looking for another job, but I'm pretty picky. So I hadn't found anything. And a week went by and the board president called me again and he said, so are you going to take it or what? And I basically said, Bill, you know what? I don't have a choice. So I guess so. And I took it. Um, And then they informed me that they were not going to pay me what um, they said they were going to pay me because I didn't have enough experience. So they were going to pay me basically $25,000 less than what they told me they were going to pay me. Um, And so that was great. Um, And, you know, it it obviously didn't make me feel real, real good. I hated it at the time. Um, I had conversations with the interim executive director who actually it turned out like he's one of my mentors and he's amazing. Um, and he basically said, look, it's your job now. Like, like, let's just move forward and do what we got to do and we'll figure it out. Eventually enough board members left and we got new board members. So after a couple of years, a future board looked at the pay and is like, this is ridiculous. And they made it right eventually. But for a couple of years, it was obviously pretty difficult for me. Um, and it sucked at the time, but I really enjoyed the role. I had an amazing team that I worked with. It ended up being fine, and I ended up staying there for a really long time. And and that's one of those situations that like I never would have anticipated that ever happening. Now it taught me some things. Obviously, um, I ask for offer letters that specify everything now. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that it's in writing. <laughs> um, but you know, I always look at everything, and this is what I encourage people to do when I coach them. You know, you have to look at challenges as learning opportunities. It's only going to help you in the long run, and it's going to really suck at the time, maybe, but move on. Um, sometimes it won't be like like my situation. If you had something like that happen, maybe you'll move to another company, but you will learn something from it, and it will ultimately shape who you are at, as a leader. Because I can tell you. That shaped who I was. I'm very careful with how I communicate about people. Hiring processes are very important to me to make sure that I'm very specific on exactly what's happening. I detail everything out. All of those things um, play a role in that. Wow. Yeah. And I think the I think these are really great. Now we actually are at the top of the hour here. So we gotta wrap up as much as I'm sure you and I could go for about six more hours <laughs> and hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll be in the same town at the same time and maybe even sharing a stage at some point. So what I want to do is I want to wrap up by uh, making sure that our viewers are aware of your website, which is beindispensable.com. And that's where you can find more information on manager versus visionary. You have a really uh, good setup. There's actually a quiz that people can take to help themselves assess I know you also uh, have the opportunity to get your hands on that book, The Indispensable Leader, which as I said myself, I'm going to pick up myself. It's available on Amazon, so I'm going to add it to my queue. I know it's also on BN, uh, BNN, BAM, IndieBound, and some other places. So I just wanted to make the uh, listeners aware of that. And also, uh, what else do they have to look forward to when they reach out to you? Because I imagine there's somebody out there on the edge of their seat right now looking to take something to a higher level. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
take take advantage of the website. There's ways to contact me. Certainly, if you have uh, any questions on leadership, I'm happy to answer those. Um, obviously, information on if you're wanting to learn about coaching or strategic planning or that sort of thing, I can help you out with that as well. Fantastic. Well, Darby Veneer, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thanks, Adam. I had a great time. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.